All right. Well, let me tell you, um, oh, real quickly, too. The women, what they were seeing was uh, women in bondage, chains. They were all seeing this picture and how the Lord was just going through and breaking those things off of us. And that was exactly what was happening. And also, they were sensing that we needed to take steps forward, though, to cooperate to cooperate with the move of God in your life. And so just while during Teresa's talk, be open to what you need to do personally to step forward to cooperate with God and during ministry time, okay? All right, um, we have some door prizes. So Heather is going to, Heather Kimura is going to go over our door prizes. I'll, you may play Vanna White and hand them out. Beautiful okay. red envelopes. You're beautiful, Vanna. Um, so we have uh, two door prizes left, and I actually looked up where door prizes came from. Actually, the etymology of the word door prizes. Um, I was curious. Really, all it means is you have to go through a door. That's all that qualifies you to get this prize. So um, we have two things, and both of them, it's going to be in your purse. So pull out your purse. Oh, I guess you have to have a purse, too, if this is going to qualify. <laughs> Um, we're looking for as many pennies as you can find. So I'm just going to start shouting out numbers, and I need to start counting your pennies. For those of you that, like, have a whole bag of them, yes. <laughs> I'm looking for 10 pennies. Yeah, 15. We're going to see who has the, the most pennies. 15. Keep counting. 20. Any over 20. Oh, we have one over 20. Oh, okay, 25. <laughs> more than 20, you have more than 25 pennies? Your purse must be so heavy. Okay. <laughs> more than 25? How many do you got? We got two over here. Oh, one over here? Okay, 30. Who has more than 30 pennies? I love this clinkling of change I'm hearing up here. She has what? She has a baggie full, literally. I was kidding, but oh my goodness. <laughs> She has friends helping her count. Oh, oh, I see. Right. No. <laughs> Kids collection. So any more than 30? Yeah, 30? How many do you have? Okay, how about 40? Do we have more than 40 pennies? Oh, still has a hand up. More than 50? 50 cents worth of pennies. <laughs> yeah? She has 50? Oh, I love it. <laughs> More than 50, look at this. This is forcing you to clean out your purse, by the way. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, we're down to two, it looks like, right? More than 50. We have one over here. You just have 50. Do you have more than 50? Oh, okay, well then I think we got a clear winner over here. Okay, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we have poor boxes somewhere? I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, the other one is going to be in your purse as well, and I'm looking for nail polish, but we're going to go with a very in color right now, so purple. Does anyone have purple nail polish in their purse? And if we have a tie, we're going to go with purple lipstick too, see if you have complimentary colors. Anybody? Nail polish? Does anyone have nail polish? Oh, wait, do we have a purple? Okay, do we have, we have two over here with the polish? Okay. And do you have lipstick that matches? No, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> we have two over here. Yeah. Okay. Well, come on up. That's this great. You got. We got one nail polish. There we go. <laughs> I thought we'd have more. Well, thank you, and thank you all for coming. We love celebrating you guys. We're giving you these. So. Yeah, those were to give certificates to restaurants, so have fun. All right. You know, to put a conference together like this, there's several women that work behind the scenes. And let me just acknowledge, I like to acknowledge them because they work so hard behind the scenes to make this happen. Faithful women. And when I read your name, if you would stand up, please. Um, and then we'll clap for all of them at the end. Linda Troyer and Laurel Parsons oversaw prayer. The pra there was a lot of prayer that went into this conference ahead of time. And so they got teams together to pray. Heather, that was just up here, did all of our graphics. Weren't those the best, the graphics of this woman? I love that. I thought that's exactly what we wanted to have. And then Carmen Frost. Where's Carmen? She was here earlier. I don't see her. Where? Carmen, stand up. She's probably hiding somewhere. She oversaw all the registration, got all that together. Ann Kramer, if she's still here, there she is. She did a workshop, and she also uh, did the registration the last few days out in the, um, you know, lobby. And then, uh, let's see, who else? Oh, Marsha Haddon and Laura Meyer oversaw our greeters in the lobby. Where Stand up, Marsha and <laughs> Laura and Angela did oversaw our food on Thursday night and helped Dave this morning and Dave oversaw the food Angela where are you oh there she is and then um, Karen Armstrong and Claudia Newton oversaw the fun night boy that you know what you are high you guys are hired you're hired after that I tell you that was some night and then um Misty Carpenter, where's Misty? She, she put together all of our workshops and, and recruited all the speakers. And then Pam oversaw all the worship, that wonderful worship, got the team together. And then our, let's see, what else do we have? Okay, that's it. And one of the things that we have, we, we do need women to help clean up after this session. So if you could stay behind and just help us, just make sure, because we've got services tonight. So if a few of you could raise your hand and just let me know that you'll just give maybe, if you know, many hands make light work. So if there's a lot of us here, we can just knock it out real quick are there a few women that would just stay behind and help clean great perfect we can get that done really quick all right um yes oh yeah let's clap <laughs> yes thank you ladies thank you thank you thank you they really do they work so hard and it's just really wonderful to have faithful women use their gifts in that way um small groups we, have, we love small groups, and we have a few new small groups. We said this last night, but I want to acknowledge them again real quickly because we have uh, two or three new ones that we're, are starting. Sandy and Leslie. Where are Sandy and Leslie? If you could stand up. There's Sandy back here. I don't know. There's Leslie. Now, I think, I'm. you know, what is this? You know, <laughs> they weren't sitting together last night either, you know. <laughs> But they're starting a new Friday night group, and so you can pick up the card for that. And they're starting, when, does it, when is the start date? The fourth Friday in April? 
Okay, so you can talk to them if you have questions about that. This should be a good group. And then we've got a neat new ministry. Where is uh, Connie and um, Connie Corova and Denise Cabrera? Where are they? Okay, they're they're over here, and they are starting. I know we need to do some counseling here between these. No, uh, between um, they're doing the what they call Naomi's Vine, and this has been around for a while. We just taught, Connie took a break, and now Denise has joined her. And what they do, they really take the Titus two principle of the older women encouraging the younger men women very seriously and so that's what they're going to do they're going to take it's just a five-week course basically that they have and people have raved about this course if you're a younger married woman and you just feel like you would love some good skills and how to you know love your husband how to love your family your children how to cook they teach you some things about cooking some you get some great recipes how to entertain i mean it's really very practical as well as encouraging spiritual spiritually and then we also have a group for those who are caretakers of elderly parents or elderly are just they're caretakers of anyone, basically. But a lot of us end up in that situation, and we just felt like we needed a support group. A lot of people have asked for that. And Debbie, I don't know if she's here. she was here last night. There she is. Talk to her about this. She just went through it. And so she's going to be having a support group. And so uh, she can give you information about that. All right. If you don't have a church that you already attend, we would love you to join us. We have tonight our six o'clock service, and we also have nine o'clock tomorrow morning and 1130 service. We would love you to join us if you don't have a church home. And ladies, the ones of you who do attend our church, come and give away some of this joy and excitement and just the power of the Holy Spirit tonight and tomorrow. All right, don't take that this weekend off. A lot of times after conferences, we say, ah, oh, I got to go home and rest. But come, we need this. We need you to come and give this away at the service. All right, that's it. Okay, let me um, introduce Teresa. If you want to go ahead and come up, this is Teresa Smith. Teresa is a good, dear <laughs> friend of mine. And um, Teresa, she can tell you a little bit more about herself, but she was a pastor down at Vineyard Columbus. She's also a counselor, and she is booked constantly. I just talked to a couple of the pastors down there, and we were talking about Teresa, and they said she's so good. She's constantly booked up, constantly booked up. But one of the things I know about Teresa from the moment I met her years ago, we worked together down at Columbus, is that she is an encourager. She is the queen of encouragement. <laughs> she releases grace and freedom and love wherever she goes. And don't we need that? We all need that. And so, Teresa, I am just thrilled and thankful that Thank you're here you. with us. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, I just have to say it feels like coming home for me. I, um, I was sitting over there getting a little vulnerable, and I was like, Lord, don't let me take all those tears up on the stage. But I just want to tell you, thank you. Thank you for this honor of talking with you. And I consider it a real entrustment um, from, from God to have the opportunity to speak into your hearts during this final session of the Women's Conference. Um, my journey, personally, as well as getting an opportunity to sit and hear a lot of other people's journeys, 
is what I notice is that we, in order to truly sustain our faith, we really need to know him, not just know about him. And he's on the journey of bringing us to be at a, you know, deeper levels all the time. Illumination is up to him, right? So he will keep doing this deeper and deeper and deeper for us, but of being his beloved. And so that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this. I'll probably use it, and then I'll move around it, and I'll drive you all nuts. So um, I know, this is how I work and how I see life. I, I know there's one counselor, and I'm not him. But my job is to stay in step with what he's doing with each person's life that I have the honor to meet with and know. And, you know, I want to say that's not just in counseling. That's in family that's in every role you play, it's an, you know, it's an honor. The Lord tr- chose you for each of the people near to you. And we got to see what he's doing and co-labor with that. Normally what that means is we're helping people dig free and we're helping cut them free from what enslaves them and what harms them and holds them back in life. And, and we just need to call people forth. All of our loved ones we got to call them forth in life. I know I need to be called forth all the time and continuing. Um, and especially be connected to their belovedness in God. So that's what I want to share about today is how, what this journey is and how to move into more freedom. And you know what? I'm just going to move this over here. Sorry. I think I need to be free. Just like move about. And so I thought that would be good, but I guess it's going to enslave me a little bit. Um, so anyways you can just see I'm I'm into freedom and I'm really into everyone knowing they're the beloved and that the thing is I want you to know that and live out of the gift of yourselves in this world and to not miss that and so that's what this teaching and talk is going to be and sharing is going to be today could I open up and pray and I'd just like to do another blessing on you Holy Spirit, I I thank you, thank you to you and the Father and Jesus. Thank you for giving me this opportunity and honor to um, bring your love and, and your words to them. I ask that you would throw away everything that I had prepared to speak that's not of you. And the things that are of you, you would have me say those. And then, Holy Spirit, I ask, would you come? You're already so strong here, but I say more, Lord, for each and every person in this place. Would you fall on them? Would you rest on them? Would you press on the things within them that you are speaking personally to them? And I ask that every person here would feel your pleasure and your delight of them. Touch our wounds, bring revelation to our hearts. Everything you are personally on with each and every person here, Lord, I just say, stir it up and move on this invitation. Keep us in step with you. Just bless your love to heal, to rest on every person within, outside of, and just heal and bless and call forth to your glory, Jesus. Amen. So what I notice most in life is when I meet with people is that most people don't have any idea the true treasures they are to God and that he shares you with the world 
And even though we hear this all the time, we don't really buy it. And I just have to say, me too, you know? I'm always struggling with that. But I want to say this to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to you right now before I start again. You are a gift to God. You are a gift to your family from Him. You are a gift to the co-workers from the Father Himself. You are a gift to your community from the Father Himself to them. You are the gift your spiritual community, your relatives, everyone that has yet to meet you. Your very presence has gifts and talents that only you alone are able to release and affect. And so no one else can affect the world quite as well as you can with him. So we need you to be fully present. We need you to be fully alive, fully seen, fully known, fully heard. Um, about, in preparing this teaching, I realized it was about 21 years ago, is what I'm guesstimating. I was in my late 30s, and I, the Lord opened up this intentional um, journey into becoming his beloved. Looking back on that time, I was a, I would say, I, I was a strong follower of Christ. I'd seen lots of healings, um, was, I would have said I was super close with him, but I, if, you know, looking back, I can tell you now, you only know what you know at that time, you know, what's been opened up to you, and I would have to say, I know I was a do-lever. You know, we're supposed to be believers. I was a do-lever. <laughs> and, um, and so I had lots of, re- a lot of fun with him, and in times of intercession, that I just value to this day. And in all honesty, I wish I was as good at doing what I'm getting ready to tell you as, as I, I did back then. I loved that time period. But, you know, it's a journey and we're always in, in movement. So what happened is I would, I had this great intercession journal. And I would write, um, my family's never seen this, just so you know. I had everything I wanted for my husband on the first page in like three pages, you know. And then a whole bunch of, and they were bullet points. They were not writing paragraphs everything I wanted, and present day, future, and then I did the same with, um, then I, you leave a few pages, right, because you're going to add things, and then you had one for each of my kids, and I still have this journal to this day. It just has changed, it's updated, but, and then I would have, you know, two or three pages for each of them, and then you skip a few pages, and you have your relatives, skip a few pages, your friends, skip a few pages, and all the people you told you'd pray that you might forget, so you got to write it down. And then I would sit with the Lord every morning, and I just loved this time, getting up and sitting with him, and I would hit I would grocery list, boom, 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 telling him all these things. And so when people say that they, some people will say, you should never grocery list to the Lord, I just think that's ignorance because I saw so much power. And then he began intersecting things in my mind that were crazy. I wouldn't have thought of them. And they, and people I didn't know and things I didn't know about. And I would go, all right. And I had, so finally I developed a page for him, you know, whatever he maybe would like to see happen. And so, I would, and so I, I hit those things every day, boom, boom, boom. And I'm not sure why he intersected those in my thoughts. I think he just thought, well, she's hitting it every day, and you know, this is how prayer works. You know, it, you got to get it up, and then it comes back down. So he he would drop it in now and again. And sometimes I'd see the answers on the news, and I'd be blown away. It was just such so much fun. But the reality is, like, it was a lot of doing. And it was 
was a relationship, and we were, we were super tight. But it was just, you know, a relationship has a lot of facets to it. And so I only had a, a couple facets in my relationship with him. And so then Penny asked me to lead a women's group down at Vineyard Columbus. I don't know if you remember what I'm getting ready to share. And so finally, a couple years later, I show up for this meeting. <laughs> and, I, and, and she's... Um, she starts off, and you know Penny, real relational, and she's like, well, how are you? And I said, oh, I'm good, how are you? And I threw it back at her, and she kindly answered, and then she gave it back to me, and how are you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm fine, and then I, I threw it back at her and asked her a question about one of her family members, and then she answered it kindly, and she threw it back at me, and I was used to people giving up after a while, you know, and this <laughs> went back and forth for about five times, like literally, this is sad, five times, and and, I'll, and each time she said, how are you? Tears, I could feel, feel them inside beginning to well up. Each time she said it and she threw it back at me till finally we're on the fifth time and I'm, I'm crying. And, and I'm not just like crying like, you know, there's tissues there, so I'm really crying. And then she's like, oh, Teresa, what, what's going on? What happened? I'm like, I, I don't know. And then so she hurried around the desk and she came and sat be no, really, you can tell me. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, that went back and forth a little bit. And then finally, now I'm weeping, seriously. And I said, seriously, I don't know. I don't know what the tears are attached to. And with that, I tell you, I can use that as a marker that that was my beginning of my awareness of moving into being the beloved. I, um, I started, and you know, when I think about being the beloved, it's intimate and vulnerable, and there's a, a friendship, and um, there's listening both ways. As you could tell what I said I did, I, I really did all the talking in that relationship. It worked out good, but I guess there was more that... So I started in that journey, and I was pretty intentional. She set me up with a peer counselor, and I know you have a peer counseling ministry here, and um, boy, I utilized that. Um, that, w that woman to this day, I'm just so grateful to. I realized when I showed up, I had no idea where I was going, truthfully. I was just going to be obedient. Um, I had never shared my story. And so she would just have me share, and then she'd pray. I'd have me share, then she'd pray. I'd share some more, and then she'd pray. This guy went on week after week. And then the Lord began intersecting some other things, and I realized, oh, this is what's happening. Do you know I had never shared my story before? And, and so I hadn't even shared it vertically, in all honesty, with the Lord. So I began this intentional, like, meet the moment of that crisis. Some people might say it was a spiritual breakdown I was having. In my viewpoint, it was a, it was a breaking out. I was coming into freedom. It was my opportunity. And I'm going to show some pictures in a minute and tell a story that I think will make that a little more clear. So I just am so grateful for someone not letting me get away with my stuff. You know, someone keeping it on me and saying, how are you? And that's hard to do to let it be about us, isn't it? 
And so I took this time and I went horizontal. You know, I always think of the cross for healing. I went horizontal and I showed up with my peer counselor. Um, and then I showed up and I started doing some things different. You know, all my readings, I, was, I study a lot towards healing too. So I was studying everything I could on the beloved. And then I started realizing, no, there's this other facet of the relationship that is, is being offered. And so I, um, I did whatever it said. A lot of times it said, sit in silence. So I sat in silence trying to hear his voice. And, you know, that's a good thing now and again, but that was doing again. I was doing something, and my problem was I didn't know how to be and just be loved. You know, the way I felt value, the way I felt loved was if I did something. If you look back at that intercession journal with me, you would have discovered I didn't have a page for myself. Never talked to him about myself. Talked to him about everybody else. So I hope this has given you, you know, some me tooness. If you're feeling this way, I don't know where you are in each of you with the journey of the Lord, but um, I just want to say, me too. That He owns this revelation of that He owns. You know, say, they say salvation is a journey of revelation, and um, so I'm always getting saved because you know, if you if you go near, He keeps opening up new things, new parts of the relationship, and new things. And then I'm going, oh my goodness, and I give myself to Him all over again and get saved. So I'm going to, um, if we could, you know, everybody's been using this scripture. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, is freedom. And so that's um, to kick it off. Could you put up the, the photo of the, I may kill this name, Carrera Mountains? Thank you. Okay, so in the history books, and this is a true story, and I just love this story, because it represents to me what God does with us. So in the history books, they tell us that Michelangelo would go into these mountains, and I'm going to call it Carrera, and you guys can tell me later that I mispronounced it, but Carrera, now it's a quarry. It even has a road. You see that? Didn't have a road back then. Obviously, there's been a lot of mining and things going on in there, but back in the day, he would have to build a road to go back and then build a road to bring out the marble. So what Michelangelo would do is he'd go into the mountains and he'd be looking just for the right color and the right density. And, and then when he would find that big, enormous thing of, think of like your bedroom, you know, if not your living room, if not way bigger, of a, of a size of marble. And this is true. He would call his foreman over, because you know there's hundreds of, of men there, but just call the, the foreman over and he'd say, do you see him? Do you see her? I'm going to bring her out. And then when he'd get that marble back, he'd begin, he'd see her. He didn't create. He saw who she is. He saw what she looked like. And he just chipped her free. And he carved her free. And he cut her free from everything that enslaved her. And that's what God does with that, with us, isn't it? We're his beloved. He sees us. He knows us. And he, his, um, he's on a rescue mission for us, to, not, for, not to get to heaven. That's a piece of it. But he's on a rescue mission to bring us 
fully forth the one he knows, the one he relates with, his beloved and the true self. Could you show the next slide? And let me show you this true self. There she is on the right, naked and unashamed. That's our author. I'm not there yet. (laughs) But that's my goal, this journey and this journey of life. (laughs) But look at the other one to the left. Do you know that that Michelangelo, so in tune with God, he called that slave struggling to freedom. And you can see that, you can just feel it, can't you? Now you might think that he just, like, he got bored and he was going to move on and do another statue. But, but actually, that's not the case. That would probably be what I would do. But he actually intentionally did that. And he did five of them, if I'm reading things correctly. Many of them. All a little different. And he called them the prisoner statues. Isn't that cool? And isn't that what is going on with us? You know, we're prisoners we're enslaved, and the Lord is wanting to set us free from the outside as well as from the inside. Isn't that the coolest thing, that he would come and, you know, die and then come and live within us? So we get, there's someone in there helping us to get free, and there's someone outside chipping us out. It amazes me. So let me, when we talk about the true self, I just want to say the true self is the one that God knows And it's the one he relates with. So we want to be that person. But it makes a lot of sense why sometimes, you know, like the journey is to throw off the false self, which I'm going to explain real quick in a minute. But you can start seeing why it's a little hard to hear him sometimes. Because there's a lot of rock all around us that has come due to our life thus far and is holding us down and enslaving us. So when we talk about the true self, we, we think about Christ. Christ was the true self. That's our model. He didn't look like he had any fear of man issues, did he? He wasn't people-pleasing. He wasn't codependent. He walked honorably with himself as well as with the other people around him as well as with the Father. And he experienced a real intimate awareness, right, that he was the beloved, And he heard the Father say, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And what I want to say is this is an offer for each one of us. Not, you can hear it. That's the offer. He wants you to hear it and know it and live out of it. So to be loved, where you can rest and there's no striving, where you're loved as you are, not as you feel like you should be or the world tells you you should be. And being the beloved is our identity. And Brennan Manning said this, I love it. He said, being the beloved is the core axis. You know how the earth is on an axis? Being the beloved is a core axis of the Christian life. And the Christian life revolves around it. So the beloved is the one he knows and the one he relates with. So you can see, though, that the false self, the prisoner coming out of the rock there, He doesn't know that person. He knows the one under, right? He knows the real one. But what is the false, what is the false self? Well, the false self is all the unhealthy coping and self-protective ways that we've developed in our life. 
So some people might say that false self is sin, and that's not really it. So I really want to tease this apart for you. The false self is more of an identity. You know, sin was done to us. We got shame from our sin. But then we had to find a way to cope. I know I did. Did you when you were a child? And whether it be school, family, it doesn't matter. Everywhere we were, things were happening. Rough existence, and you're finding ways to cope and how to protect yourself. And so you start building this identity, and that's what the false self is. So when I would sit down to pray, and I'm not talking just about those intercession times, because I know there is, you know, this is messier than I'm making it sound. You know, I was fully present. But there is this other piece that when I was, other times when I was living, he was seeing me, and I was seeing me, and I was looking at a different person. You know, like, the person I thought was sitting in the chair, he didn't see, if that makes any sense for praying, when I was praying. So, anyways, this is some of the things that stir up creating this other identity. Um, Perfectionism, need to be perfect, that's totally my gig. Um, Even if you were grieving, it doesn't have to be bad stuff. You know, you can be grieving, and yet if people ask you, how are you, or if, if you can allow yourself to grieve, if people say, how are you, and you go, I'm fine. You know, when, our, when my mom died, my sister is here, and she's a member of this church, and so when our mom died, it didn't hit me for two years. It took me, I was a mess, but I didn't get deep like those tears in Penny's office for two years. And then when two years happened, It came forth, and then it's still continuing. And it was seven, eight years ago now. You know, so when people would say to me, does it get better? I'm like, it gets worse. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't allow myself to live in that true self real well. So I'm trying to work hard at that. Um, Let's see if I can give you some other things. You know, the idea is you're trying to figure out what has enslaved me from be allowing me to be fully myself? If you suppress your feelings and behave in certain ways that aren't true to you, we kind of know when we do this. That's a piece of it. You know, when we suppress our feelings, emotional honesty is obviously not, not imp- it's impossible, isn't it? So regardless of life, of how hard or easy your life was or whatever your life, you know, has been, The false self is an identity, and you don't just get it from real trauma. You get it from just ways of coping and growing up. So I'm just going to be vulnerable again and tell you a little bit of what my false self is made of, just to bring it down home and make a little more sense. So as I just admitted to you, I'm a real perfectionist, and I'm working always at killing that and getting away from it. Um, this was developed in part because in our family, our fam- family of origin, every day, and I mean every day, even on vacations, there was physical and emotional violence. And it would start mainly because it, we did something wrong or somebody did something wrong. Now really, our dad just had some internal emotional issues he just wasn't willing to deal with, right? So there was a lot of blame shifting going on. And as a child, when that's happening, um, everybody has personalities, but everybody has birth orders. And so I would tell you my sister and my brother suffered the most. Being the firstborn, 
I took it upon myself to, um, I, I developed a savior complex, and, which nobody knew about. You don't, you, know, you don't even realize you're doing that when you're a kid. But I, would have to, I was responsible to save everybody. You know that wording that you keep your friends closer, but you keep, you keep your friends close, but your enemies closer? That was me. I was, I, they would have thought, oh, she's so close to dad. Nope, somebody's got to watch him. Somebody's got to be responsible. And so 24-7, I was developing this in my being, a way to survive and a way to try to protect my family. Um, and then I didn't do it right very much, you know what I mean? You might hit 40%, you know, but there's still, I said every day, so obviously. Um, and I would blame myself if there were things that I missed. If, if eruption happened and violence happened and beatings came, I was blaming myself. And that led to self-hatred. Doesn't it make sense? And so when you beat yourself up because of, you know, you couldn't perform and make it happen, then that's a lot of what set up my false self. So I developed this, you got to be a good girl. My sister is like a ball. She's so, um, she's like a firecracker, that's what they used to call her, because she really owned her voice. And she, she lived fun, even though she suffered immensely. And me, I was like psychologically working the system, trying to figure it out. So I would hold back my voice, and be a good girl. And so you can see though, that's not who God knows. That was being created by the system, right? That was part of our world. And that's what I'm trying to give you an illustration. Whether it was trauma or whether it was other things, we all have had to find these coping mechanisms and protecting ways. But then when you get older, you're like, I don't need that anymore, you know? I don't need it now. So it's time to let them go. So I've got to figure out how to let it go. And you know what? I probably gave you three things. On this intentional inner work that I'm always trying to do with myself and, and, you know, and helping other people, there's a ton of them. And you don't want to navel gaze and get stuck there because it'll just drown you. You know, the point is, you just, you're looking for awareness to get free and get out and get living and not let things enslave you. It was harmful. We don't need to do that anymore. I used to hate that, the false self, and then I would condemn the false self. Well, wasn't that smart of the enemy? That's just, I need to love that part of myself. We need to laugh at my perfectionistic stuff. I appreciate when my friends will just giggle, you know? and not shame. So getting close to the Lord was, um, was it. And I would just tell you, you like, go for it with him. Go for knowing him. Go hide in him. Let him touch all your unloved parts. And, let, and healing, will, healing just comes and moves it, moves it away. Whether you, you find out things of repentance or forgiveness, or just lots of basking in love, like that silence. Do you know that they say most of your healing comes when you sleep, right? Your physical healing comes when you sleep. Most of your emotional healing, you have to be intentional to this, but a lot of this emotional healing and inner healing, it comes when you sleep. So there's something the Lord is trying to tell us about you can be loved, people, 
and I've got this. I've got it for you. Let me just, since we're women, and let me speak to this perfection thing. It's Western society, right? Perfectionism. You can't turn on a commercial without it shouting out at you. You know, we're not meant to be perfect. We're meant to be whole. So the goal of human perfection, that's not from God. He has not put that on us. He is it. He isn't asking it of us. When Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, that, per- that perfect word that he used contextually means compassion. So what he's saying, what Jesus is saying is, be compassionate as your heavenly Father is compassionate. And that's the meaning of perfection. And so that means compassion to everyone, but also compassion to yourself. So here's a few things on... Um, on the false self that I just want to say one last thing. Oh, actually, I'm just going to give you a definition. Thomas Merton did a lot of writing on true self, false self. And this is what he said. This is the man I want myself to be, but who cannot exist because God does not know anything about him. And to be unknown of God is altogether too much privacy. And doesn't that make sense when you look at the pictures? He knows the one on the right, the true self. He can see that other one, but he's like, oh gosh, come on. Come live this gift of yourself in this world. So there's one last thing I want to add to this, and that is the corrosiveness of shame. Shame is so corrosive, it makes so, so much sense that Jesus died for it. And um, let me tell you what Brene Brown, so I... On the way out of here, there's going to be two handouts that will be laid out for you. And on there is like a book listing that I think of that's really great on the Beloved stuff. And um, one of those is Brene Brown. And she, she has this definition that I, I appreciate. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance and belonging. And doesn't that make sense? Shame... T- takes all those things of the false self and it just becomes corrosive. It's like the glue, you know? It's all holding it together. And if you look at that, I'm just going to read off some things that shame does and I just want you to especially look at that left picture and it makes sense what shame does. And, I'm, and the reason I'm telling you guys this is for yourself but also for your loved ones. Because we don't realize how much Shame is out there coming at us all the time. Not just our own inner dialogue, right? Shame disconnects us. Look at that. You can see. Can't be fully present. Disconnects you. Shame also makes you feel unworthy of connection with people. So it's deep. It interferes with your ability to accept and express your truest self. Totally unable to come forth, isn't it? Shame can paralyze you. Shame moves you into isolation or into hiding. It silences your voice and the release of yourself into the world. And we know who, puts, who wants things in isolation, don't we? You know, the enemy wants you to move into isolation. God wants you to come forth and live in community. So it's corrosive. So we need to be speaking. Brene Brown, who is a researcher and a professor out of Texas, um, and whose book I told you is on that list out there, she said, for women, shame looks like 
Look perfect, do perfect, be perfect, anything less than that is shaming. Never enough at home, never enough at work, never enough at bed, never enough with my parents. Shame is never enough. But since, even though it's a women's conference, we're all attached to men in this world, whether it's your brother or your husband or a boyfriend or a father or a friend or a coworker or a son, grandsons, Listen to how men experience shame. Shame is failure at work, in your marriage, in bed, with money, with your children. It doesn't matter. Shame is failure. Shame is being wrong, not doing it wrong, just being wrong. Isn't that heartbreaking? They're both heartbreaking, both genders, you know. The, the thing to hear is God never shames you. He never condemns you. Satan is the only one who does it. It makes sense that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and there's an evil gig against you and me and our loved ones. But here's the thing, like we co-labor. We're human beings. We co-labor with something. We can never just not co-labor. Literally, you either co-labor with Satan or you co-labor with God. There's good, there's evil, there's no in-between. Everything falls into a category. There's indifference, but indifference is evil, right? So when we talk poorly about ourselves or other people or we judge or any of those things, we're co-laboring with Satan. And you know what I mean? Like when we condemn and judge out loud, speak it to people. So that identity I formed and that we all have formed, that was just helpfully directed by the enemy, wasn't it? And built. And so, doesn't it make sense? We have to like break it off and get free and take every awareness and revelation of this next thing God is giving you on your journey. One of those things that He made me aware of, and um, this wasn't until my probably mid 40s, maybe late 40s, and I'm still catching things, is that chatter we all have in our head or internal dialogue. And so my, I really encourage you, find your internal dialogue. You all have it. We all have it. And it's always fear-based and negative. It disturbs peace. And it's just always going, so we have to catch it. And again, it was developed, too, during our, our years of growing up. And so one thing I realized was every time I looked in a mirror, and there's lots of mirrors in this world, you know, anytime I passed a mirror and I looked in it, I would always say, oh, my gosh, you're so ugly every time but I never heard it until I went looking for it when I went looking for what in the world do I isn't Satan just tricky it was there and I never knew it so anyways I started writing down and trying to catch these things and then I'd repent to the Lord because he's not saying it so I'm co-laboring with the enemy by condemning myself what one thing I noticed even like three years ago I was doing was I was every I would, whenever I do anything wrong I'd, I'd go oh my gosh you're so stupid do you ever do that one? So self-deliverance works on kicking off the enemy. You know, repent quickly, ask for forgiveness, and do your best, then stop. But it's hard to stop because it's so subversive. You know, it's so down there. So you have to be, you have to be paying attention. And here's the th- gig. We either bless or curse. There's no middle ground. Everything you say is a blessing or ev- whatever you say is a curse. And so... Gossip is a curse, but 
but also the way you talk about yourself. If you talk poorly is a curse. And so we need to stop cursing people and ourselves. And we just don't realize that's what we're doing. We want to bless. And God never says anything bad to you about yourself. If you think he does, you're mistaken. It's not how he does it. He really does see you as the beloved. And he's just saying, come on, honey, come forth. God is kind. He is your safest place. Even though I have a, a very safe husband um, and family, God is my safest place. In the middle of the night, when I wake up freaked out because of something I can't control, I run to my chair where I set up, where I meet with him all the time. And then I pull my blanket around myself and I get safe, whether I talk out loud or I just sit with him. God did not ordain your suffering. He is committed to it, though, that evil will not triumph. And he will work good through that. But he did not ordain it for you. Now, shame, back on shame, it's going to need three things. And this is Brene Brown's research, too. I appreciate it. She said, shame needs three things to survive. And the way she tells it is she says, if you had a Petri dish and you put shame in it, it would need three things to survive. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. Doesn't that make sense? So if we want shame to stick around, then we need to keep doing that. We need to keep secrets. You know, remember hearing that language, we're as sick as our secrets. Don't keep secrets. We need to be silent. If you want shame to stick around, be silent. That's what the enemy would love. But God wants you to own your voice, right? And come forth and speak it. And if you want shame to stick around, judge yourself. No. We don't want shame to stick around. And we don't judge ourselves. God declares who we are. And he says you're his beloved. And he died for us and he suffered for us. And so if you could, um, how are we going to get free and how are we going to get others free? If you could put up the picture of um, the next one, that'd be, that'd be great. This is what, how I think um, we want to embrace being the beloved. So when tears were coming out of where I didn't know they were coming from, um, in Penny's office, he didn't just want me to get over it and get freedom. He wanted me to go to the places that were harmed and were touched and I just wasn't even paying attention to. In all honesty, I was done with that time and I was moving on. And, but he knew a lot of the tragedy and harm and the effects that were there and he needed me to let him touch my wounds. And isn't that the same with him? Isn't vulnerability, which kills shame, you need two to be vulnerable, right? You can have a relationship when you're vulnerable with each other. Christ was vulnerable with us. And so think about what I, tell, what I would advise you is like, think about if you were back in biblical times on the times that Jesus was on the earth, not that Old Testament stuff, like when Jesus was there, that Old Testament stuff, I get, that'd be scary what would happen but I want to be where Jesus was. And where would you be if he was um, on the earth? Where would you like to see yourself? 
when he was on the earth? There's no right answer to this. It's just a way of trying to get intimate and get vulnerable and be with him and of what he experienced. One of the things I came up with for that answer is I would have liked to have been right there when he was dying, as close as they would have let me. And then I would have wanted to help take his body off of the cross and then carry it back to the tomb and then, you know, wash him up and tend to his wounds. And that's what I think the offer is in being the beloved, is there's this vulnerability and this intimacy and relationship he's offering us where we know him and he knows us. And that's the hard wiring within each one of us. We're, we're made to be known and know. Horizontally, made to be known and know, but also be known and know vertically as the cross. And love and be loved, right? And so, how do we throw off a couple things? Throw off being the a couple things on throwing off being the beloved. I mean, throwing off the false self, and being our true self, and being the offer of intimacy into being the beloved. Well, the false self was developed in community, and so we're broken in community, and so we get healed in community. So you got to show up, and you got to pick your safe community. And obviously, this church is a phenomenally safe community. So show up into your spiritual community that's safe. And then a small group, show up into your small group, find a safe, vulnerable small group. And then you need to have one or two people. It doesn't have to be a counselor or a spiritual director. It can be a friend. You know, it's just find somebody that has earned the right to hear you speak and share these hidden things. And so then you also, you run to the Lord, don't you, as I've said. And you make a place with him where you tell him everything. That's what I hear, that's what I want to tell you that Jesus says to you. He says, tell me everything. You know, listen to, give honor to your own life. He died for your life. Give honor to it. And tell him everything. So you name it, you tell someone, you own that piece of your life because the reality is, as much as I don't want to go back and and do that again, my best strengths were honed there. When I did a list of my strengths, my weaknesses, my best strengths, and you try to figure out where did you get those strengths, and I see this every time with people in the office, every time. The best strengths, unfortunately, but Thankfully, it's part of that working good out of evil came from the times of suffering. There's something in us that is strengthened and, is, and becomes holy. Henry Nouwen said, broken glass shines more brightly. Isn't that true? Broken glass does shine more brightly. But he went on to say, only a fool would break it, though, to make it shine. Yeah, we don't do this. world's hard enough as it is. But you've got to you got to realize you shine. Your brokenness is not shameful. What, you did, what did happen to you, the enemy meant to shame you and to hold you back. 
But God has worked this way of good out of evil that he will make, th- make you even stronger. Like if someone has lost a child, God forbid, who do they want to talk to? Someone else that's lost a child. When someone is an alcoholic and trying to get out of that addiction, who do they want to talk to? Another alcoholic. See, we're wounded healers. We may walk with a limp, but we walk, man, and we come forth, right? And we run and we live free and we gotta show up and we gotta own our voice. I always tell, um, when I pastored, I would, I, would, um, have, I would wanna meet with every person that was gonna wanna be a leader in this particular ministry. And I would, what I did is I wanted to hear their story. And then I decided, a lot of, most times, probably all times, I decided based on their story, if they had enough suffering or not, experiential suffering, then they could serve. And they knew Christ, and he had, had moved into their wounds. Because I knew a truth, and here's a little, little story of this truth, a little analogy, that let's just say that... Um, you come home, or let's say you're, if you have a little child brings this to your home and they give you this clay pot and it's beautiful and they made it in kindergarten and they painted it and they fired it and they, um, for whatever reason, they made a lid for it and they also wanted a candle in it. And so they bring it home to you and they're like, isn't it beautiful? And you're like, yeah. And they're like, light the candle of this perfect, beautiful pot. Light the candle and turn off the lights and then put the lid on. And you know, like... No light candle doesn't candle gets snuffed out, right? But if the um, pot sticks around a few years, because you have to put it in a nice place so everybody can see it, and it breaks and it falls, and you're always picking it back up, and you're you're gluing those cracks. But after a while, there's cracks that you can't fill, and there's little holes, and there's chips, and you're still lighting that candle because now that child's a little bit older, and they're and you're wanting to honor what they made, and so you you light the candle, you put the lid on. But now a little bit of light comes through when you turn off the lights. But let's say now the child is in college, high school and college, and you still have this place of honor with this pot, but it has a lot more cracks, a lot more holes. But put a candle in it, you're still going to honor, and you turn off the lights, and you light that candle, and you put the lid on, but more light goes into the darkness. That's us. There's a holiness that comes in Colossians 1.27. The mystery is Christ within you, your hope of glory. Jesus trumps the enemy every time and he will do it again and again and again and he'll do it through you. So there's no shame. There's no shame. We have to live fully. If anything they're, they've, they've made us earn the right to speak. So we can do the inner work. We want to be vulnerable. We want to forgive as we want to be forgiven. But I want to tell you real fast that the, Jesus is the model of how a soul gets healed too. Like some people will come into the office and they'll be like, I just want to forgive. And I'm like, yeah, well, tell me about your life. I don't really say it like that, but you know. <laughs> But I know it just, it didn't it go nowhere, you know, because there's a deep reservoir. 
you know, Jesus died for all the harm. There's a, something deep in our souls. And we get healed when people listen to us. So I say to people, all you have to do is listen. Because listen to love, or to listen equals to love. I see it time and time again. So if you love well, you're a really good listener. And love just comes to them. But so God wants those wounds to be listened to or those harms to be listened to and, and healing can come with him. So, but here's that illustration is what I was getting ready to say. Like Jesus got super angry, didn't it? Righteous angry, throwing tables around in the temple. That's pretty angry. And then we see later he's in the garden and he's grieving and drops of blood coming through your pores. There's some deep feeling going on there. And you know, you can't, you can't heal what you're not aware of, but you also can't heal unless you feel. And so that was a great illustration of what he's given us, is we've got to be righteously angry. We've got to move into grieving our losses, touching and owning, being in, in touch with those feelings. That's why those tears were coming. And later I began to feel. I wasn't feeling. And then... Then finally, you know, it's movement to the cross. Die to yourself and be able to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We look back and we realize my dad really didn't know what he was doing. You know, he was doing a lot of stuff that was extremely harmful. But he, his intention wasn't to destroy our souls in quite the same way in the effect that we had but also, like I said, again, I'm so grateful. And I know Carolyn and my brother, if you knew, we are so good in crisis. Like, when crisis happens, we always laugh. We can just, everyone else is, a lot of people are freaking out. And we're like, things are fine. Because <laughs> we're comfortable in crisis. <laughs> and that's a strength. And our brother is, um, well, all of us just have jobs that are in crisis the crisis oriented. If Carolyn told you what you did, you go, oh boy, she's doing that all the time. All right, so I just want to say like, Carl Jung said, I'm not what happened to me. I am what I choose to become. And Richard Rohr, I love this. He said, when you do not need to be the victim. Now it doesn't mean you don't shame and hide those things. But when we don't need to live out of that, or create victims, bring harm to other people, then you are free. And I have two last things, and then I'll be finished. The first thing is, don't, um, don't expect all your wounds to be healed, because, and don't live in shame because they're still with you. I've got so many left to take care of and to work on, and I like that because I know that keeps me real intimate with, with the Lord. But don't expect your wounds to be fully healed because sometimes your wounds are the reason that a lot of power comes, even unhealed wounds. And I want to give you a little story um, that is called The Angels That Troubled the Water or The Angel That Troubled the Water is based on John 5, 1 to 4. It's in Brennan Manning's book, which is one of the books um, that I recommended called Abba's Child. A doctor... And the purpose of choosing a doctor is that he was equipped with many gifts, one that could get him the help he needed. The doctor comes to the pool, hoping to be the first in line and longing to be healed of his depression. 
An angel comes to block him just before he's ready to step in the water. And the angel tells him, draw back, that the moment is not for him. And the doctor pleads, and I don't know if I said this, but he's wanting to be the first in line to get healed of depression. This is what the doctor has. He has depression and he wants healing from it. And the angel says the time's not for him. And the doctor pleads in a broken voice, but the angel insists the healing is not intended for him. And then a prophetic word comes from the angel. Without your wounds, where would your power be? It is your depression that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men and women. The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering children on earth as can one human being broke on the wheels of living. So in love's service, in God's service, in Christ's service, only wounded soldiers can serve. So physician, draw back. So we need to remember that's how grace, God's grace and healing is communicated through the vulnerability of men and women who've been heartbroken and fractured in life. And vulnerability, you guys, is one of the key things that will keep shame. Shame loses its power. Be vulnerable. Ask people to be vulnerable with you. And then don't tell them what to do. Just listen. God's pretty, God can tell them what to do. Unless they ask you. Just, we, most of us just need to have somebody here. And then healing and love can come. And then as I said, the Lord is committed to the entire journey of your life becoming his beloved. So I'd like to tell you a true story. And we'll finish up and then we'll have ministry time. And I tell you this because all of us were fighting against our own thoughts, our own lives. We have no idea how loved we are and how beautiful we are. And we need to know it. We need to hear it. And as I said in the beginning, you need to come forth and live fully yourself. So this story is about our mother. Our mother was the most beautiful woman there was. She was just wonderful, beautiful. All three of us would tell you that, and the grandchildren. As you can tell, there was a good bit of harm to her life, a good bit of harm. And she had a great deal of shame because of what she wasn't able to change and affect, you know, of what all was happening. And she never saw how perfect she was. Well, she left our father when at 47 years of marriage. And she became very lost because you know how the false self is. You, you can't see what God sees and know what he knows. And you create these roles and identities for yourself. And her identity was in part always taking care of an abusive man who shamed her voice all the time. I mean, all the time. Every day, numerous times. But she served him and she loved him unconditionally. 
So even when she had cancer, just to give one little illustration, he never took care of her. And he actually caused her harm even when she had colon cancer. And this was 20 years before um, this 47-year thing I'm telling you about. Well, so she leaves him, and she comes to live with us. She's lived with us for about four months, and then we're going to go look for an apartment for her. And, and we're going to come down to Westerville to look for an apartment. Back then, there weren't too many apartments in Sunbury, and so we're heading south to look. Well, since we were in Sunbury, the first place we stopped was that UDF, you know, here in Sunbury, to get gas. I have no idea why we did this, but we both went inside. I don't know why we would have both gone inside unless we wanted donuts or something, but, but we did. And so I'm paying for the gas, and my mom's over here. And there were two people behind the cash register, and this one person looks over and goes, looks past me, and looks at my mom and goes, you are so beautiful. And I look, and then this other person who was next to her looked up and looked over and goes, oh, yes, you are so beautiful. And so I look at my mom, and, and she gets a little embarrassed and, you know, has a sweet smile, and we both walk out. And then we, we go, in all honesty, we go through McDonald's drive through <laughs> so, if, you, if, if you knew me, you'd be going, yep, and wait, wait else where she tells you where she went to. Well, I went through McDonald's drive through and I'm driving, and yep, this is what happens. The person hands us our food and looks past me and says to my mom, you are so beautiful. And I'm like, yes, she is, she's beautiful. <laughs> so we drive, and I'm looking at mom, and I'm like, what's going on? You are beautiful, and she goes, you know, anyways, she's just always so humble. We drive on, we'd go to a store. <laughs> and we're going to look for apartments. We had a lot of errands to do that day. Go into the store. I kid you not, there's not an exaggerated piece in this. <laughs> we're walking out, and the cash register with what we're buying says to her, you are so beautiful. We look at three apartments, each place, exactly, yep, say the exact same thing. We go through the White Castle drive through <laughs> And sure enough, the person does the exact same thing right past me. You are so beautiful. Well, you know, this continued everywhere else we went, no lie. It wasn't like one handful or two handfuls. We had about three handfuls of those. I, I was blown away. And, I, and, you know, after, like, the first handful, you know it's God, you know? And so I'm like, Mom, do you know you're beautiful? Why is God needing to tell you so much? Well, first I'm like, Mom, this is God. That's actually what I said first. And she goes, she goes, I, I know. And I'm like... <laughs> And then it occurred to me, like, Mom, do you know you're beautiful? Why does, why is he needing to tell you this so much? And I found out that no, she did not think she was beautiful at all. In fact, she felt that she wasn't valuable. I'm looking for, you know, I sat with this, so I'm going to look exactly what I wrote down about what she had told me, but she had said she wasn't wanted, I mean, an abused man didn't want her. You know, that's how she felt. She wasn't of value even when you sacrifice that much. 
So she felt like she definitely was not beautiful. She told me she didn't feel a value and that she wasn't wanted. And um, that day, the Lord was telling her who she really was. He had had enough, didn't he? And he was telling her, he was on a mission of calling her out, calling her still, you know, she was in her um, mid-70s when this took place. No, I'm sorry, mid-60s when this took place. And he was calling her out of that false self that she had to create to protect herself. And to be, come into being true and be seen and live her beauty. And if you saw her, you would go, yeah, just like all those people, she is beautiful. She didn't know it. And then she had nine more years. That's all she got, nine more years before she died of a second cancer that took her life. But in those years, she found the gift of herself in this world. And she found freedom. And she found the Lord and she rested and she really found out she was the beloved, truly his beloved. So regardless of how long our lives are, I want you to know he's committed to this. He wants you to know. So I'd like to pray for you a blessing. And then we are going to offer, um, we're going to have worship, you know. And for those of you that would like prayer, we wanna just, I wanted to say come forth and get it. If anything spoke to you and you just want some prayer, you need to... Sometimes prayer, I just want to say, like, so much of my healing came, not just on the inner work and the time alone with the Lord, but I remember a time when he stopped because I was hiding again, and he wanted me to go be present and let people pray for me and have them tell. And so this piece, whenever, whether you do it here or you do it other times at church, this is a piece of being vulnerable and letting your community with the Spirit of, of God heal you and break you out. Okay, so I'm, if, I'm just going to pray for you real fast. And you guys can come up if you want, if you'd like, if, if that's cool for you. Thank you. Holy Spirit, every woman that's here, Every woman. I bless that they are your beloved. I ask God that you would, you would speak. You would tell them. You would stir it up inside of them. You would touch their wounds. You would heal. You would call them forth. I ask for dreams for every woman here. I ask, Father, would you release dreams to them straight from you. Would you hide them away with you and would you minister and tell them of their beauty and of how much you, uh, you love them? Would they feel your pleasure? I just bless you. I bless you. I bless who you are. I bless you are the beloved. I bless you to fully shake off, chip off, and run forward free in his love living the gift of yourselves and affecting everything he has made you for. I bless it, Lord. Put your power on their gifts, on their talents. Put your power on their words. 
when they speak? Would your love move on people and heal and set captives free? And I bless your joy to increase in them. I bless the great journey of this life for them, Lord, with you, the intimacy and friendship and love with you as your beloved. Protect them. I apply the blood of Christ over each and every woman. And would they only hear your voice, Lord. Separate from them the voice of the enemy. Our lives to your glory, Jesus. So if you would like prayer, I just say come forward. If you want to hear, if you don't want to hear the enemy anymore, whatever is going on with you, be vulnerable and let your sisters tend to you with Christ. And um, I just say thank you, bless you. You know what? I, I, I think instead of coming forward, what I'm going to have you guys do for time's sake is to make sure that we everyone gets prayer. If y'all could just break down into groups of three or four and just pray for each other. Right, right now, right where you are, just break down in little groups of three or four and uh, just pray for each other. See, God's opened a lot of you up throughout this conference, and the Holy Spirit is working. So we need, to, we need to continue on. We need to allow him to continue his good work in us. And so I'm just going to encourage you right now just to break down into groups of three or four because I want to make sure that everybody gets prayer before we leave, okay? Does that make sense? Just take a moment and just bless and pray for what God's doing in each other before we leave, okay?